When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod save the queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and this week we are joined by a very special guest. We have Jenny Bond with us, who many of you will know as the BBC's royal correspondent for 14 years it was in total, wasn't it, Jenny? It was 14 years. Yeah, 26 years at the BBC, but 14 as royal correspondent. But I still do an awful lot of royal commentating and writing and analysis. And they were very eventful years as well, because you were covering 1989 to the early 2000s. So the, the 1990s were a slightly tricky time for the royals in a lot of ways, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a bit later on. But it's, <laughs> it's They were mu- crazy years, crazy years for me and for the royal family. But it's a, it's a much happier time at the moment, really. Um, obviously, looking forward to the royal wedding, Harry and Meghan, really not long to go now. And... There's been some new details of the wedding coming out so that we actually know some concrete information this week. So we know about the cake. There will be a lemon yes, and... Hooray, el- hooray. We've actually got some, we've got some facts to talk about, isn't it? Wonderful. Um, yes, yes. Uh, this week we've heard that the cake is going to break away from tradition. Normally they have a fruit cake at royal weddings. and That's certainly what the Queen had. She had the most enormous cake uh, it weighed, I don't know, a, a fantastic amount. Um, and most cakes are multi-tiered fruit cakes. So William, we're told, also had a second cake, a chocolate one, because he's very fond of chocolate cake. Um, but this time, um, Harry and Meghan have gone for something quite different. And it sounds lovely. It's a lemon and elderflower cake, and it's going to be decorated with uh, fresh flowers. And when I heard about that, the first thing I said was, oh, it, it sounds just like springtime. And I think that's rather lovely. And apparently that is the thinking behind it. And it's made with um, organic products. And uh, by a lady who says um, her, her ideas and her produce is very in tune with uh, Megan and Harry. Her, her name's Claire Patel. And she, I think she started out in California as well, which is a nod to Megan's heritage. And then that it's based in a, a quite a trendy part of East London. And Megan wrote about it on her on her blog previously as well. And I mean, the pictures of her creations that we've have been shared online since they look really quite delicious. So I think one of my jobs yeah, between it now looks and- very special. Might have to go up and uh, check it check it out before any excuse for a slice of cake, but uh, it's it's one of those things where they've they've broken with tradition a bit there, and that clearly is something they're not afraid to do as a couple. No, they're not. They are a different couple in many ways. I think much of that comes from the fact that she is an older woman, an older an older bride. I mean, she's just a few months older than, than Catherine even and Kate. Um, and she is so self-assured, she appears to be, and so confident. Um, so I'm quite sure she'll have uh, clear ideas of what she'd like on her wedding day. Um, and, of course, it doesn't have to be so formal. It doesn't have to be such a state occasion because Harry is not um, likely to be king. You know, he's not first or second in line to the throne. Um 
So they have a lot more leeway to be just a little more informal. But I think at its core, centrally, particularly with the Queen in attendance, um, the wedding itself will, I think, be traditional. And you mentioned about it not being a state occasion and the difference between um, Harry's wedding and William's wedding. And we've seen that today in the invitations as well. So another piece of concrete information. We have seen the invitations and what they look like. Um, And they are very traditional. But the difference with um, one of the differences with William and Kate's invitations is that they are issued by Prince Charles rather than by the Queen. Mm-hmm. So so the wording on it um, reads, uh, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, KG, KT, requests the pleasure of the company of, insert name here, might be Anne Gripper, probably won't be, I won't get my hopes up, but there'll be one in the doormat when I get home. Anyway, requests the pleasure of the company of, our guest, at the marriage of His Royal Highness, Prince Henry of Wales, with Ms Meghan Markle, at St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle on Saturday, 19th of May, 2018, at 12 noon, followed by a reception at Windsor Castle. So that is a very traditional format. And also the, the design of it is is beautiful. It's sort of a, um, italicised lettering, all produced um, by a, a young woman who's just finished an apprenticeship, actually. She's called Lottie Small. Um, and she's finished her apprenticeship at Barnard and Westwood, who've been doing the royal wedding invitation since 1985, apparently, which must be, that must be Andrew mm. and uh, Sarah Ferguson's, I should think. But uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So they're quite lovely. And apparently the guests have been told that the dress code is uniform, morning coat or lounge suit for the gentlemen and day dress with hat for the women. So there are clearly these... Yes, of... well, that answers that answered the question um, about whether Harry will wear a military uniform and that's been quite a debating point late, lately, hasn't it? I, I always thought, well, I, I, I thought he might not because it's at St George's Chapel and it's that much more informal. And also some people say it's a bit, it's a bit naff to wear this uniform. It's no longer in the Because last year, although he's, not, uh, he's no longer in the army, he is, um, he is Captain General of the Royal Marines. That was a, a post that the Duke of Edinburgh had. But he relinquished that last year. Last year, and he appointed Harry to the role, so he has got a legit uniform to wear. So I guess he'll probably wear that, or he still could dress as Captain of the Blues and Royals, I suppose. And there is something special about military uniform at weddings; like they look so, they look really <laughs> like special. A man in a uniform. <laughs> My my husband also looked yeah. very special on his wedding or well, on our wedding day as well. He looked very nice in a uh, in a morning suit. So, you know, other other options are available and still look still look I don't nice. really like morning suits. I think morning suits are most peculiar garbs. Although those tails and top hats, I think they're really odd. So I think um, the military uniform option is, is going to be very smart. And it is in tradition with, uh, obviously, the Duke of Edinburgh married and his naval uniform, with Charles in his for the first time round anyway, um, and um, William in, in his. I, I, I think in America, I don't think William really wanted to wear military uniform. Um, but I, I think uh, a, little, um, a little note came down from on high, perhaps, that it was... was meant to be was required and that's what he did wear um so i I reckon obviously we're going to see harry and his now it's 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 interesting and i mean he's he's probably got more right than most royals to marry in in military uniform having served in afghanistan and um and then continued that interest in the military even since leaving as well yeah absolutely yes 10 years so uh yeah he can absolutely wear it um, and then one other 
factual piece of information, which is why which is why you're here with us, which is um, uh, fun to talk about and something that our listeners can get involved with as well. So um, we're probably all waiting in forlorn hope of, a, of an invitation to the royal wedding, but people can be a part of it and potentially be a part of a wedding gift to Harry and Meghan because um, Photobox, which is a... a photo book publishing company and and does pictures and things they are putting together a very special book to mark their wedding which is going to going to be called the crown from the crowd so can you tell us a little bit about this project you've got involved with i have got it really is um i'm quite enthusiastic about it basically you might remember back at christmas when the royals went sandringham and obviously um out of well semi-official occasions like that or any any event where the royals are the press follows so if you remember the press as i always have been you you're put in one position you're told where you could stand um and the royals will wander by and uh, perhaps look in your direction much of the way possibly aside you get one shot or two if you're lucky um and then they intermingle with the crowd and um then they're much more spontaneous much more informal and at Sandringham last christmas there was a lady in the crowd who got the best shot and it was the shot despite all the ranks of official photographers there the one shot that was splashed all over the newspapers was taken of william and harry and catherine and Meghan by a lady called uh, karen anvil um, and uh, she should know quite a name for herself, probably quite a lot of money as well. And it gave photo box the idea that there must be such a source, an untapped source of uh, photographs going back over the last 60, 70 years, if you like, of people who snapped their photos from the crowd when a member of the royal family came to see them. So we're putting out a call, a call that in the next two weeks, up to April the 2nd, because we've got to get this book together, if people would like to submit any photos they have, go and rummage through the attic, look through your old photo albums, see what you can come up with. Um, and a little anecdote to go with it would be great. And the best 300 photos are going to go in a photo box album, which will be uh, published um, in early May, and the first edition um, is going to be given as a wedding present to um, Harry and Megan. Uh, the profits are all going to go to charity. Um, the books will be on sale um, for £25, but the profits will go to charity. And I think it's going to be a fantastic archive, actually, of uh, royal and social history. I've seen a few of the pictures that have been sent in already and there's a, there's a really interesting variety, some older ones, some from travels abroad. There's a really lovely uh, black and white picture of Kate sort of waving at somebody and, and animated. So it'll be really interesting and the, to, to see what people come up with. One, there's one you may have seen, um, which I've seen already, which I, I think is fantastic. It's take, it was taken in the Congo, in 1925 of the Duchess of of York, the lady we knew as the Queen Mother. Um, And it's quite an informal shot of her sitting in some kind of vehicle uh, with a... It's so evocative at the time. And I'm hoping that the person who submitted that, they say it was taken by their grandfather. I'm hoping they'll have some more information of, you know, why were they all in the Congo? What was that all about? Um, So we're going right back into history and going right up into modern times. Um, so that's what we do. If they go to crownfromthecrowd.com, crownfromthecrowd.com, upload their photos in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and if it's a very old picture, uh, 
picture, then if you if you take a if you take a picture of your photo and upload that, we can then get it in quality if it's chosen as one of the best um, three hundred. And I think it's going to be a cracking book. Oh, I think it will be, and we're 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 planning to follow its um its development through to the uh, through to the wedding day. So we'll see what see what um see what comes of it. Um, have you have you got pictures and memorabilia and things from your time as a as a royal correspondent? Because obviously for for newspaper people, it's quite easy. They can cut out the pages of the the newspaper if they want to. Um, and it's you can do it quite easily and privately at home. But and there's also that thing sometimes when you're a journalist of you've got to be um you know cool and not not be uh like the the, the tourist fan and having your picture taken in in different places what was it what was it like for you have you got sort of pictures and, and memorabilia of your own in any way i got some memorabilia but i think i've just collected along the way but i'm so so short of pictures um you, you kind of uh hit the nail on the head there i mean i i wasn't I wasn't going to stand there and take pictures of the royals because I was working. I was writing my script. I was gathering the facts. I was looking, observing, writing my script, directing the cameraman so he would get the right shots, helping him, carrying his tripod, carrying his ladder, running from place to place. Um, There really wasn't time to stop and say, oh, let me take a little picture now. Um, Apart from which, when I was uh, doing this uh, full time uh, for the BBC, we didn't have camera phones. (laughs) We didn't even have phones at one point, you know. Um, So it wasn't easy and I didn't carry a camera with me. So the short answer is I have no pictures whatsoever. I've got lots of footage taken by my professional cameraman that I worked with. And I've got all sorts of bits and pieces that I picked up along the way, you know, I know invitations to to the Guildhall, to the Queen Mother's uh, 100th birthday celebrations, uh, written on an old scroll. I've got two pairs of tights that Diana, Princess of Wales, gave me. Um, <laughs> and I've got, <laughs> I've got to, I'm worn out. <laughs> a new one she gave me, she gave me lots of time, because it was sort of jokes between us. Um, and lots and lots of bits and pieces like that. But no, it's Oh, it's 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 so odd thinking now, you know, how, how much life was different before we all had smartphones. And, and I think that's one of the things about when you look at old pictures, people are looking at what's happening. There's not everybody's got a, got a phone up in somebody's face, but it's a, di- a different, right, yeah. different time and very exciting. And so you mentioned Princess Diana gave you a couple of pairs of tights. So, um, mm. I mean, it was very much the Diana years when you were working with the BBC I mean the the I guess the marriage was already heading for the heading for the um heading for divorce really when you when you joined even if people didn't really know it yet but we then that, oh. no, we, no we didn't know and the first time I did actually was, was not as a, as a fully fledged royal correspondent I was, I was still a general reporter which honestly I loved doing as a general reporter but I was sent to Australia in 1988 to cover the bicentennial celebrations of Australia and the uh, Prince of Princess of Wales was there, Charlton Diver there. And that's the first time I really came across them and I had to report on them and uh, knocked around with all the the rat pack, as we know. You know there were raw reporters from all, all the papers. Um, uh, your dear old James Whitaker, for example. Um, and uh, it's a funny old beat. It really is a strange beat. And I really didn't want to become a royal correspondent. I was horrified when I was asked to do that. Uh, I thought, no, 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 no. Um, but I said I'd do it for one year. 
and that was 1989. Um, and lo and behold, I did it for 14 because it became a very important story. And you weren't just flouncing around saying, you know, here comes the Queen in a green ensemble carrying a rose or two or whatever, you know, which I couldn't bear to do because I am a serious journalist. And um, suddenly it became, you know, is the, is the monarchy going to survive? But we didn't. No, I certainly didn't know that the marriage was in that tro- that kind of trouble, not until much later into the 80s. And how, so you joined, you know, you joined the Royal Beat. How, um, how did you go about, I don't know, starting out or how, I think I, I, um, I read about how you built a relationship with, um, with Princess Diana. You, you were quite sort of, um, forthright and, and made, made a mission to to do that really yes i i did well i tried to establish personal relationships well not personal relationships but i tried to get to know some of them a little bit better because if you spend your whole life talking about people without knowing them it's quite tricky and that's i've always said this area of journalism actually is is not the shallow silly frilly frothy end that some people like to portray it um, it's actually quite difficult because if you're a if you're a political correspondent, you you have um, contacts. You can ring up. You can go out and have lunch with them. You could probably, um, if you're you know the editor, the political editor, you can probably um, bag ten minutes, quarter an hour, maybe lunch with the prime minister. Now that so rarely happens as royal correspondent. Nothing like that. You can't ring up um, you know Prince Charles or the Queen and say oh. Could you stand this story up, please? You know, that's not going to happen. Um, so you always work through third parties, press secretaries, private secretaries, ladies in waiting, whoever you knew, um, and try to establish the truth. And it, it came through, it, I would think if it passes through a lot of people, uh, the truth can become very diluted. So it was, it was hard to know what was speculation, what was fact, what was fiction. And I mean, you, you mentioned um, before that during that time, it was it was, a, it was a, a particularly serious job, and there was this question about whether the monarchy would survive. Did you did you ever think that it it was really in proper trouble, and that it might be the end? I think the only time uh, I think the only time I really questioned whether it could continue the way it was was after Diana's death. I mean. There were two periods of uh, when things were extraordinarily bad. One was the Annus Horribilis, as the Queen called it, 1992, and that seared on my memory as well because it was it was a, a horrific year in so many ways. I, I in fact, I I'd had a, a little girl in 1990, a baby, so she was only um, just coming up to two when the year began, and uh, it started out. I was actually doing general stuff as well. So I was on the general election campaign with, with Neil Kinnock when I was hauled back about um, two in the morning from somewhere and told, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was the mirror. It might have been the mirror. Has, has got a splash, and it, they're getting separated. There's a separation, separation. And I thought, oh, my God, Charles and I, really? And no, no, it was Andrew and Fergie, completely out of the blue. Um, they decided to separate. So I had to rush to Buckingham Palace, fought on all that, go back on the election trail. And a couple of months later, um, I was in India uh, with uh, with Diana and Charles, and there was Diana at the Taj Mahal looking forlorn and lost and saying, oh, it's been so healing to be here. So is the marriage in trouble? No, no, say the palace. No, everything's fine. So you don't know where you are on that. A couple of months later, out shopping with my husband and baby, when phone goes, oh, 
Andrew Morton's written a book that's being serialised. Diana's tried to throw herself down the stairs when she was pregnant with William. She, um, she's cut herself. Um, all sorts of revelations. <laughs> that was absolute mayhem, obviously. And it went on and on that summer. Not only was the Andrew Morton book out, then we had um, Fergie, uh, topless in the south of France, having her toes sucked by her financial advisor. Oh. Just makes Spotify. me cringe just thinking about it now. We limped towards November, um, November the 20th, the, um, the Queen and Duke's wedding anniversary, and suddenly I, well, I'm actually at Buckingham Palace talking to Charles Anson, um, the press secretary, having a cup of coffee with him in the palace, when suddenly get alerted that when the castle's on fire, I go screaming down the motorway and cover that. Oh, and then finally the year ended with the separation of Charles and Diana. I mean, it was mayhem. Um, that was a very, very bad year for the monarchy. And the other one was the death of Diana in 1997 and the way it was handled by the palace. And that was probably, to answer your question, um, the year of the greatest crisis in the future of the monarchy. So talk us through how, um, I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of build-up for a, known event we know there's going to be a wedding that i would imagine there's meetings galore at the bbc for some for something like that and there's a lot of planning involved but then when when there's a huge story like diana's death then that's everything suddenly happening all at once and you've got to react to it and it, it, it no you know nobody could have imagined that happening there was the country was just stunned the world was stunned by it well, you say nobody could imagine it happening. Funnily enough, we had actually rehearsed the death of uh, of the princess um, at the BBC um, a few weeks, months probably before, because we 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 used to, and I'm sure they still do, rehearse the death of um, practically all members of the royal family and other dignitary, well, other uh, very important people, um, so that we know kind of program we're aiming for that we can handle it live and people are in the right place it's logistical as much as content you know with the will the cameras be in the right place who do we want where it's a technical exercise but nevertheless um it was quite a useful issue like a template um so in the shock and the drama of something so unexpected as that happening in reality uh we still had this basic structure to work towards you know we need people here there blah 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 and um that helped us a lot because it it was it was a time of high emotion wasn't it I, I mean i think i think that's the other thing that's interesting now there are people you know grown-ups who were born after diana died who, who... i know i know <laughs> which I makes us feel very old when I talk about diana you know young, young people say oh diana who diana what and when you you, they don't realise that Diana was, she was, oh, I don't know my father saying actually, uh, that, that, that she was like a beacon in this country. She just was um, on the front page of every newspaper practically every day or on the news. It was Diana, 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 far more even than we hear about the, the young royals and they're extraordinarily popular. Um, so, yeah, she was, she was someone who, who, was ever present in our lives, and thus I think that created the shock um, in the country, which which bordered on hysteria, let's be honest. Um, uh, when she so was so suddenly taken away, and I mean, you obviously spent time with her as royal correspondent on on trips, both before and after her her divorce. What was it that made her such a 
um, char- I guess charismatic or influential and loved um, figure? Well, I think it was her compassion, first of all. Um, she exuded um, compassion and she did things in a different way, you know, from, uh, you know, handing, uh, holding her hand out to someone suffering from, from AIDS to touching and stroking a leper's foot, um, sitting on hospital beds. Um, we'd seen royals sort of cuddling babies before occasionally, but Diana took it to another level and uh, you felt it was very genuine and very sincere. Um, so she used this massive influence she had, big, uh, and she knew she had it because with her would go 80, 90 press probably. Um, and so she felt, particularly towards the end of her life, she said, well, let's use it. Let, let's take advantage of this. Let's make it happen. Let's make it work. Um, so, for example, on the trip to Angola, um, when she wanted to highlight the plight of um, Angola with the landmines, I won't look at that. Um, it was a very serious subject where she knew she she could get much more publicity than practically anyone else in the world. And when you think back to those um, those trips and that that time that you spent with her, is there is there anything in particular that stands out or a little sort of moment of? I guess her her per, like her personality rather than the public persona that that you remember and um, that sort of shines through for you. Well, I was surprised when I met her on uh, sort of one to one, you know, just chatting with her. I, I, as you mentioned earlier, I I said to Letter saying, "Look, I, I really want to get to know you. And couldn't we meet at two women over a cup of coffee? Because you know, I just meet you here and there for five minutes." And uh, to my amazement, she did invite me. And so we we did have some long conversations at the palace, just the two of us. And I was very um, delighted, surprised perhaps uh, when I first met her that she was she was very articulate and coherent and strong in many ways um i think she she used to describe herself as or she once did as as thick as two short flanks and she regretted that because she wasn't uh she may not have been academically brilliant but she was very shrewd and she was funny um i mean i I, if i think of her now i think of her sitting in, in in her drawing room and um we're talking about i don't know whatever something to do with her life and the circumstances she found herself in in the breakdown of her marriage um but she would find something funny to say um and she would throw her throw her head back and and laugh a wonderful laugh uh, a giggly girlish laugh so that's the kind of picture i have of her and it's obviously taken the royal family quite a long time to gradually rebuild themselves from that crisis in in 1997 but they they feel to have they seem to have reached kind of a new stability and a new way of of moving forward maybe with a slimmed down royal family um so the the book revelations that are coming back out now the tom bowers biography of prince charles um is probably the worst time to throw you know that all of that old, I guess, muck as as the royal family might consider it, um, raking back over the bad years, just when they're coming up to another royal baby, to royal weddings, and that and that should be a happy time. Because again, in the same way, there are people who don't know really who Diana was or why she, why she was so loved, and that all the build up, they don't also necessarily know how that. There are there were three of us in our marriage. The the sort of the love triangle, if you like, between Charles and Camilla and and Diana, and how that all 
how that all played out. There's been quite a successful rebranding of of Camilla and then um, Clarence House have just updated their website and when Charles and Camilla got engaged there was a statement put out basically saying that as and when he became king she would be princess consort rather than being queen. That statement hasn't transferred over to the new website. Um, We've done website migrations before sometimes you don't take everything over with you. That statement obviously still exists out in the ether but it has been interpreted as maybe paving the way that perhaps she could take the title of queen time will tell on time will tell on that but that kind of any any book that goes back over the the difficult times and the breakdown of their marriage essentially is always difficult for the royal family isn't it it is um I'm not quite sure what the point is. I mean, it's an unauthorised biography. I'm sure he's a, a, a great journalist. Um, and that's fine, but I'm not sure what the point is of it all. Um, and I don't know how well he it is. I'm, I'm sure he's done his homework. But what, why, why do that? And, and how much of it is really true? I've, I've read some of the extracts and some of it is true. Um, um, and some of it does not. Um, and Camilla, I have a great deal of time for Camilla. I had a great deal of time for Diana. Just because I like Camilla doesn't mean I have anything bad to say about Diana. I like both of them. Um, and, you know, Camilla, Camilla always has been the love of Prince Charles's life. And that's what Diana herself told me that we should accept. And she said, everybody knows uh, she always has been the love of, of Prince Charles's life. They're a happy couple together now. And um, as you say, the monarchy is far more secure and in much calmer waters than all the time I was full-time reporting on them. Um, the Queen can see three future um, kings in, in line of succession, all alive and fine. Um, and uh, she is very relaxed and calm. So... Um, it's the best time at the moment for the monarchy. I don't think this will seriously rock the boat. And I do think that Camilla should be queen. Um, it's something I often say in my public speaking. I find some resistance to it still, as I used to find massive resistance to the idea of the marrying. And then eventually uh, that was accepted. Um, and there is some resistance to the idea of her being queen. But I just don't get that. I don't get that. If your husband's called king, then you're queen, quite frankly. That is that's how it is. And I do think she deserves that place and that respect. And I always say to audiences, actually, you know, how many of us have made a bit of a cock-up of our private lives, you know? How many of us got it wrong? How many people are in second marriages? Are, are, is this couple to be punished forever for having made a mess of their own first marriages, you know? Um, I think a lot, a lot of time has gone by and a lot of water under the bridge. And um, I think she should be queen when he becomes king. And she, she's, she always seems to be fun and interested and she's chosen some good issues to get involved with, like her work on literacy I find really interesting. Um, she's a Strictly Come Dancing fan like me, which is always going to <laughs> endear her to me. But um, she's, she seems quite human and Charles, you know, that doesn't doesn't always seem as I don't know as of this as of this world he's got some slightly more peculiar interests and and always seems a bit more awkward whereas she's she's his better half possibly yeah she's very relaxed 
and uh, very cheerful, very supportive. Um, and they're, you know, they're a great couple together. The, the tragedy is they, you know, they didn't get married in the first place. That that would have been so much better. Um, you obviously spent 14, 14 years being a royal correspondent, moving in that world, having tea with Princess Princess Diana and travelling to exotic places with the royals. What was it like leaving it behind and adjusting to, you know, I don't know civilian <laughs> civilian life rather than uh, rather than <laughs> moving in the royal circles? Well, it was brilliant, actually, because the first thing that happened was that uh, I was asked to do I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So, I mean, the, the, you could not have a greater contrast, really. Um, <laughs> so one minute I'm standing outside Buckingham Palace and the next I'm in, in the jungle in Australia with um, with Katie Price, you know, Jordan, Peter Andre, uh, Johnny Rotten, <laughs> um, and being buried underground in a coffin full of rats. Uh, you know, it was um, a wonderful contrast. And that kind of involved awesome different um, opportunities in television. So I, I branched out into presenting all sorts of different programs. And I love um, what the best thing about giving up the job, though, um, which which I just decided a bit on, bit on a whim, actually. We moved to the, to the West Country, and it was proving very difficult to try and be in London as much as I needed to be and, um, and with my husband and daughter down here. Um, and the best thing about giving up that job was I, was I no longer felt I was on a choke chain because I, uh, well, I can't tell you, if you're a specialist correspondent, different if you're a general reporter because someone will take over from you but as a specialist correspondent uh, the bosses want you in front of the camera they don't want anyone else they want you and it doesn't matter if it's a saturday or it's a sports day or you're missing your daughter's ballet performance or you're on holiday um on the other side of the world that doesn't matter the the choke chain gets you and gets you back um and um it's quite wearing really being constantly on call and when you're trying to bring up a little girl and and keep your promises and say you will be there and then you're not mm. again and again, it's it's wearing. And so that is the beautiful freedom I find myself in now that, that people will ring me when there's a big story, a royal event, um, as you very kindly have. Um, and, you know, I can chat away and do my stuff. But I can also say, do you know what? I can't be bothered. I'm going to the beach. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> I, I wanted to say that quite often to the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good time to be able to do it now. Who do you, which royal do you think would make the best I'm a celebrity campmate? Oh, there's a question. But I don't know, maybe maybe Beatrice looks, uh, Princess Beatrice looks quite sort of um, sporty and would get on with it, I think. So it would be quite amusing to put Prince Charles in there um, if anything <laughs> we read in the serialisation is true because he might be a little bit finicky and a little bit precious about what you have to go through there <laughs> well Beatrice and, Beatrice and Eugenie sometimes they uh, they need something to do some people might see some people might say so maybe we'll see them in there in there one day you I wouldn't Put it past Zara Tyndall giving it a go in a few years once she's finished with uh, having babies and uh, and horses. yeah, that's a, that that's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah, because well, her husband's done. I think he's done something very similar, hasn't he? I think he might have done either the Australian one or a survival one. Um, so, I think he might have yeah, done the jump, call. doing the uh, doing the dangerous yeah, ski jumping yeah, yeah. thing. Oh, taking his life yeah. in his hands. Um, well, <laughs> I think uh, we've we've gone over lots of really interesting interesting stuff back to a different a different decade rather than rather than this one what's in terms of the royal wedding what are you looking forward to come may 19th at, at windsor the, the final thought. Uh, 
Well, I'm going to be there. I'm covering it for Australian television, actually. Um, so I'll have a spot outside, I assume. Um, and it'll be lovely, actually. You know, I've watched Harry grow up. Um, I knew him a little bit. I'm not claiming I knew him very well at all, but I did sort of know him a bit in those those, those very difficult years. Um, and I think everyone has a soft spot for Harry. Um, I think even his name, actually. It makes me smile. Harry. Harry. It's a lovely, friendly name. And at the palace, they always said that, uh, you know, his name uh, was synonymous, really, with mischief. And he's always had that, that mischievous air about him. And I think he's grown into um, a mature man who is willing now to reveal his thoughts and his feelings. And we know he, how vulnerable he's been and how he's fought the demons um, that he's had to. And I'm just going to be really pleased to see him with the lady he clearly absolutely adores. And she's a good, strong, strong woman um, who typifies everything about how the monarchy has changed and evolved, being um, an American, divorced, an actress of mixed heritage. You could not get more contemporary. And that's a great message for uh, the monarchy to be sending out to keep itself relevant and cool to young people. So it's a great match. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what I can from outside uh, outside the castle. Amazing. Have you got your hat yet? Do you have to wear a hat? What's the what's the etiquette for dress no. code for royal <laughs> reporters on the day? Oh, you wear what you want, but I'll try. I'll wear something bright and um, you know cheerful. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's not it's not not to do with me, is it? It's really not about me. <laughs> Third day. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Um, our listeners, thank you too for joining us once again. Um, subscribe and uh, leave us a rating or review if you've enjoyed this show. We'll be back with more next week. And um, until then, go rummaging through your attics or uh, through your old phones or computers to find those pictures that you might have taken from uh, from royal visits. Um, can you just give us the, the details for uploading the pictures again, Jenny? Yes, absolutely. Crown, go to uh, online, crown from the crowd, crownfromthecrowd.com and upload your pictures. Or, all the instructions are there and uh, we'll go through them all. And the best 300 uh, will we'll be in the book. And maybe you know, if you've got good anecdotes, you'll find yourself on various TV sofas and radio stations talking about it. Oh, and we could get maybe even get you on Pod Save the Queen as well. So go rummaging through for those <laughs> pictures. So uh, thanks very much for joining us once again. And we'll back, be back next week with royal, more royal news. But until next time... Pod Save the Queen! 